0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Bees Analytical Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing the failed Project Big Picture, the last three England games over the international break and a championship preview. But firstly, let me introduce you to my co-hosts, James and Alfie. And we're going to have a little bit just to let you know who we are, what we do in our backgrounds. So James, if you want to give it a go, go ahead.
1: Hi, I'm James. I'm a Reading fan and I'm a third year football journalism student at the University of Derby.
2: Hi I'm Alfie and I'm a third year math student at the University of Reading but I also work in an accounts department at an EFL club and I look to future my aim is to become an accountant at a football club
0: and you know roughly my background at Bees Analytica it's all things statistic and analysis of the championship and I'm currently interning with a few EFL clubs at the moment in the Data-Performance dash performance Analysis Department. So, who wants to open up our debate then on Project Big Picture? Has anyone got any thoughts you and might, feelings?
2: You might as well outline the topic and then we can discuss it afterwards if you want.
0: That's absolutely fine. So the key proposals of Project Big Picture, as put forward by the teams, were: is to reduce the, the size of the Premier League from 20 to 18, the EFL Cup and the Community Shield scrapped, Current one-club-one-vote principles would be abolished, and there would be a rule that 14 clubs at the current 20 need to agree on a policy. The power would be in then nine clubs that have remained in the Premier League the longest. Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, Man United, City, Southampton, Tottenham and West Ham. Only six of the nine longest serving clubs need to vote for, the men- for a change to be implemented. But the, it would also include a £250 million bailout for the EFL, plus £100 million to the Football Association. And then 25% of all Premier League's annual revenues, up to 4%, would then go to EFL clubs. So, obviously the Premier League has shown it doesn't want it at all, and the 20 clubs in there have kicked back and said, we're going to work together and work it out. Whereas the feeling was that in the EFL, a lot of people supported it. Some journalists were reporting at least 90% of owners of an EFL club were backing the proposal. Why do you think there's such a divide between the two sides or two ends of the spectrum, the Premier League and the, the EFL?
2: Well, first of all, I think it's mostly due to the fact that most EFL clubs that would have backed the proposal are first and foremost looking at their short-term futures and obviously not going bust with the extra money. But also, most of them probably won't get to the Premier League in five, ten years when this could become more serious when they start voting on stuff like the a second Premier League potentially or um, the Super League that has been poo-pooed at the moment. So I think that's mostly the reasons behind it at the moment
1: yeah it ultimately all just comes down to money two the 250 million pound bailout they're just seeing the kaching signs in their eyes and they're uh they're signing up which is it's, ter- it's terrible for the game
2: yeah it will create a bigger divide between the championship and the premier league or the efl leagues and the premier league and we could start to see a fifth league form in between the premier league and championship if the powers are enabled to the big clubs but we'll have to wait and see on that
1: but where uh, our football is just based off the 92 it's always been the 92 teams and this proposal would get rid of two because it'd be a team of 18 and a league of 18 and three leagues of 24 would reduce it to only 90 teams and that's not what the EFL the EFL is 92 teams that's what it should be it's not broke so don't fix it
0: do we not look at foreign leagues, though, especially somewhere like Germany, Spain, that have all had success at international levels, that all have 18 members' leagues? Do you not see that then the extra four weeks that teams haven't are, aren't having to play?
2: How are you going to get rid of two teams? Are you going to say, you know, you have to leave the league? Like how can you say, how can you revoke someone's football league status based on what a few teams at the top want?
0: Mm-hmm. I think the easiest way would possibly be the drip down. You take one extra or drop it down through the divisions a bit like we had the situation in League 1 and 2 this year with Bolton and Bury. Obviously Bury going extinct. Um, yeah, It's a tricky one. It depends personally, your view on this nation. Are we a tribalist t- where we're one club, you focus on that, like is your Reddins, your Brentfords, your Norwiches. Or is it about a national pathway? Do we, because it certainly benefit our national side more to not be playing as many games. So do we want that from our nation or do we just want to keep following our one team? I personally feel it comes down to that at the end of the day. And I think, I think personally, I would rather it not come in. But I can see the, the effects, especially for a lot of those in the EFL that will be looking at them pound signs thinking we could really do with that right now. We're on our uh, our last legs. But the Premier League weren't
1: taking these games away and not and and having them spare. They were then going to use them to be able to uh, play more exhibition friendly matches like the MLS and the NFL. And that's not going to solve the problem of fatigue for international tournaments. They're just travelling more and still playing the same number of matches.
0: <laughs> no. I see, there's there's two sides of it because if you think they've not then got, well, when does do they come into the EFL Cup? It's round three, is it?
1: Yeah, so they Europe.
0: And then a Community Shield starting in August. You know, the European sides it gives them that time, and then do we then see a drop down effect of more success on a European stage and then an international stage? Is that something we'd like to see in the in our in the Premier League or in our highest division? To me main... <laughs> it's a tricky one
2: but i'm not sure that it will create national success because if you look at it now a lot of revenue that lower league side create is if they are able to sell a youngster to a top side like what mk dons did with deli ali uh, that that progression will not happen for english youths anymore because with the new rules they would be able to find, allow they would be able to sign foreign youngsters under the age of 18 and that would block places in academies for young english talent and that would create an even bigger divide if you like with youngsters not getting games at clubs if you now have a brazilian youngster ahead of you in the first team pecking order as well you're definitely not going to get into the first team even if it's a cup game I think there's downsides and positives to everything. But personally, the way they proposed it, I think I'm glad it got rejected at the first stage.
0: Mm -hmm. I think certainly those at the top end, especially the Premier League sides, your Burnleys, um, who else would be in that bracket, I was going to say your Fulhams and stuff, who don't want to give up their power they have right now. They don't really get much out of it, to be honest. What's the point from their point of view? Why would we give up all our voting power? We don't get any financial incentive from it. We get less games, but there wasn't really anything to it for them. I think with the with the EFL now, obviously, they've been given that rescue package in an interest-free loan. So I'd assume that will have to be paid back at some point. And then an extra $27.5 million solidarity payment for League 1 and 2. Does anyone know how that's being split up? Because that's about $77.2 million between all of them. So how's that being distributed? Because someone like Reading's losses are in the 45s, 50s. Someone like Brentford are 25 in the, the green. Someone like, um, who was it? A Premier League team that's come down. You're born with your Bournemouth, your Watfords are all up in the, up in the greens. How, how's that going to be distributed that's, that's the big question now is it a mil per team is it based on your income someone think if you give a lower league team think of someone like Bradford or Bolton take a million quid you'd propel them up a division <laughs> they, you could just spend so I, I've, have they discussed that in any further needs I don't know if they have or not I haven't seen it anywhere
2: If it has, then it's passed me by.
0: Because it it comes back to that whole of you throw it's all well and good throwing this money at it and clubs need it, especially in these times. But how is it going to be used? The EFL has already shown its incompetency with being able to do a fit and proper owner's test. So now you just give them all this money and say, right, owners, go look after your football club. Don't put it out of business. What's stopping someone turning around and just throwing it all at a playing squad? And thinking, we'll just buy the division, we can buy our league now, we've got this money. And end up doing what Barry did, and spend well beyond their means, and end up in financial ruin because of it. Because these owners were mismanaging. I think that's just the balance that needs to be struck here. And it's brilliant to know that these packages are here because matchday revenue is massively reduced. But the EFL need to do more as an organisation to try and get proper business people into these clubs. Not allowing someone like Stephen Dale, who'd already liquidated 20-plus companies and ran them into the ground. Why on earth was he allowed to run a football club is beyond me.
1: And this is a whole different conversation. I <laughs> the, know. <laughs> uh, how the EFL are and what needs to be done to the EFL. You could have a whole pod on its own about how poorly run the EFL are.
0: Yeah. Mm. We are, yeah, definitely That's something certainly to look at in For future episodes I think the general consensus, if I've got the mood right Between all of us is There were some positives to the big picture Obviously as fans of EFL clubs There were certainly things there But not enough I think To, to overwhelmingly say, yeah, I back that Yeah, definitely Not Not from our position Interesting, right and we shall now move on to our next topic of conversation, England. After that whole national and all club debate, what do we make of the last three games? Is Southgate on borrowed time and do we have to look to be moving him on?
2: I don't believe so. I, I don't I don't think he's on borrowed time. I think that's Well that would be a very naive thing to say. I mean, considering we did beat the number one ranked nation, don't get me wrong, we didn't dominate them. We didn't play amazingly well, but then we didn't have all our starters as well. And we ground out a result against the number one nation, which is what you need to do in tournaments. The only thing that maybe puts him under pressure, if you like, is his tactical ability. Because we haven't really seen it tested. Not really tested at all. Personally, for me, I don't like this whole five at the back, two in midfield, especially when you're playing two defensive-minded midfielders along with five defenders. I, I, I don't like it. But then he would argue, look how successful it was against Belgium, the number one ranked team in the world. So... No, I don't think he's on borrowed time. I don't think he should even be talked about a risk of getting sacked. And I think with what he's had to deal with recently, I think this was only really expected to come. I mean, you look at what happened with Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden. You'd argue that's not in his control. That is two naive teenagers breaking protocols that he's set and the England staff have set. You look at what Harry Maguire did in Greece. Well. He can't control a football player, can he? You look at what Abraham, and Sancho did having a non-socially distanced gathering, he can't control that. Like, I think what's been in his control, he's dealt well with, and he's dealt with all these headaches quite well, to be fair to, be fair to him. The only thing that I would say he's at risk of is due to his tactical choices, and if this is what the FA want if they want us to be playing three at the back hard to beat, or if they would prefer us to play more expansive football. That's what you've got to ask the FA.
0: Do you feel, though, obviously you've looked at your Foden's, your Greenwoods, your Chilwells, that are all, to our knowledge, and it hasn't been in the public press, they haven't misbehaved at club level. They haven't misbehaved Why in their clubs. So now why on international duty do they feel like the leash is off? Is it because Southgate hasn't got control of their young personalities in the dressing room. Have they got running rings around him now? I know you were going to mention it a bit, James, about the lack of a leader and our poor discipline and just the general sloppiness on and off the pitch. Is it a case of Southgate hasn't got the respect of the players anymore? They've given up, they don't care for him and what he's got to say.
1: Yeah, I I get that sense sometimes in that I just, I'm just not sure if Southgate's someone that they particularly look up to he seems more like a kind of a cool kind of dad or a cool kind of uncle that they think they're their mate rather than their their manager and there needs to be a clear line and i'm sure that's not applying for everyone but in this break in particular and the previous one it seems to be rearing its head a bit more that or they're just just naive kids that have been locked up and locked down for a long time and they just had a bit of a mad one but it, it I don't think it would happen with, with someone with a bit of a bigger ego and a bit of a bigger name in the game than the Gareth Southgate.
0: I agree with kind of the analogy of like, it's like that substitute teacher you get at school. He turns up and says, oh, we'll all do football. Everyone's buzzing and like, yeah, 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 we'll do football. And then it just sends into chaos. People are kicking each other off the ball. You're throwing it and it just all goes mad. But everyone loves that, the substitute teacher, because he's like, you play football. But at the point, there comes where you get bored of just being kicked. You get bored of just someone punting the ball over because the teacher doesn't care. I kind of see that in Southgate now. It just looks like these young, young kids that obviously are all extremely talented beyond belief. Your Hudson, the Doys, your Mounts, your Foden's. They are the next generation. But there comes a point of where you just get bored. Could you imagine Foden doing something like that with Man City? Guardiola wouldn't wouldn't let him play for a month or two. You know, stuff gets tried to then stamp down, and say right, no more fun, but then you can't go from being Mr. Fun guy to now, right, that's it, and bringing the fist down, and then not get rid of the players that then do exactly the same thing. Yeah, your Abraham, your Chilwell's, that then have done literally the same thing, not socially distanced all gone to a birthday and jeopardised the safety of an entire squad, and then not get rid of them.
2: See, I agree with you to an extent there, but I, I don't think this can be put down to Southgate. If you look at the types of squads that he has introduced since taking over, they've got progressively younger. And, as you say, there is no leader in there, to set an example. I mean, I think of it as when Harry Kane was coming through, he had Rooney or he had, if you look even further back, you had Terry and you had Ferdinand and you had Gerard and your Lampards. There's not that type of leader in the England dressing room that is going to, well, almost for young players to look up to. I, I think your point about would they do this on at their club level, I think no, but to an extent that is... Because at England level, I feel like Southgate demands more of them. He gives them more freedom, and with that freedom, they have broken protocols, they've broken things that the that they that he has put in place. um yeah, I think it's mostly down to the age of the players as well, if you look at it we mm-hmm. like, would and Foden this is the first time on England duty as you say coming out of lockdown this is their first real taste they've probably been told by other young players that are just ahead of them oh you get to meet loads of girls when you're away and all that they probably wanted a bit of it and again that comes down to
0: lack of experience in the dressing room that players look up to you do touch on that point a little bit, but you look at it, you've got someone, Jordan Henderson, is a Premier League and Champions League winner at the age of 30. Someone like Maguire, I know he's had his off-field problems, 27, has played at the highest level for a long time now. Your Pickfords, who's been in and around the England set-up for now good three, four years and came through at the sort of time as Kane, who's another league dressing room. Are we saying that these players have all been captains and stuff at club level, especially Kane and Henderson? I just don't think you can attribute that sort of the problems they're having down to a lack of a leader. You're looking there; there are some big, big names that have com- competed at the highest level for a good long while now, and a captain at their le- at their levels. Jordan Henson's the captain of Liverpool, for God's sake. I just, I just yeah, it's a boggling one. Obviously, there's... I... oh, go on, James. That, that was Alfie. Oh, sorry. I, have uh,
2: yes. one. <laughs> I I agree with you, but you have only named four players there that I agree with: Henderson, Kane, Pickford, and potentially Maguire. But like you say, he's had his off-field problems. Now you think back to—I mean, I think of that twenty-twelve, the twenty-ten World Cup. You had Gerard, Liverpool captain. You had Terry, Chelsea captain. You had Lampard, vice Chelsea captain. You had Ferdinand, vice-captain at Man United. You had Rooney, who was a big leader in the dressing room at Man United. You could go on and on in that dressing room. At at this current time, you can only really name five. I I, I don't think... I think it's also down to the young players not acting up, but their first taste at real freedom. You think I think of Foden at Manchester City. I agree, he would never do it under Guardiola. But then you look at who he's playing with. He's playing with Kevin De Bruyne, who's 28, got a cool head. Aguero, who's 31. You know, he's with older players. Whereas he's come into this dressing room, and yeah, he is the youngest, but he's the youngest by a year or two because of the age of the squad that Southgate's picked. He's not the youngest by nearly eight years to kevin de Bruyne. i don't think there's enough senior figures in that dressing room and it comes down to what southgate wanted southgate wanted these young players and unfortunately with use there becomes a naivety and inexperience and this is one of the fallouts with it
1: and, you, and you've got to think what they're actually doing i mean if social media was around in gaza's era or you know that sort of 90s team but nowadays, they'd have been banned from every single squad. I mean, you've got, <laughs> they're young kids. They're away from their homes. They're all in one big hotel. Yeah, with COVID, they've probably gone too far. But with what they were doing in any other era when there was no COVID, no one would really back. Yeah, it'd be on probably the front page or a few pages of a paper. But as long as they perform on the pitch, I don't think anybody really m- minds too much. It's just it was a a mixed squad for this break. Very much changed. The Wales game was, was pretty simple. Belgium was a hard-fought win. And then I just think he got it wrong against Denmark. But, you know, he's allowed to have the off game where they lose. I mean, it's not often England lose to a lower team. But yeah. it's one of those things where you just got to win the next game.
2: And you'd rather have it now than in a major tournament. Yeah, there's still people trying to say that Nathan's league is competitive and everything. As you look at it as an England fan, that's my third on list of competitions at national level it would go world cup european and then nations league i'd rather him try it out get it wrong in this competition than get it wrong at a major tournament
0: i think you bring up a fair point i look at england and i don't see where we're going especially as coming through the coaching pathway the whole thing about the england dna we play fast we play quick counter-attacking we don't really have that it's really, really dull to watch, It side to side. Wales was an alright game, but you'd expect to beat someone like Wales, who are a lot further behind than us and with a lot less budgets. I think against Belgium, we were incredibly fortunate. Look at Just look at the two goals we scored. Mounts was a complete fluke, and the penalty was so-so. And then Denmark, it's all reared really its ugly head. We couldn't break them down. It was all very stagnated. The system, you touched on it earlier. Playing two holding midfielders, and then a back five, it only gives you one outlet, and it's out wide, and if they're marks off, where do you go next? It's, you, you struggle to break teams down, because as soon as you play a double pivot, or, or double defensive midfielders, you can't go anywhere else. You're relying on your backs to cover so much width, and then you've got Maitland-Niles on the right, or on the left, sorry, who's right-footed. You've then got James on the right who's also right-footed and he's not called up a left-back or a left-wing-back. So you've called Sakura up to play, but they've not played him. And so we lose that complete balance of the team of they're all right-footed and they're all just coming inside constantly. So then Bel- uh, Denmark just mark it off. Or then Belgium. You know, it's just it's a boggling decision. And I don't get his logic in the persistence with these two midfielders. You need diversity and... It's all well and good having someone like a Phillips, but then get someone like a Mount in front of him, get another creative player in front, or even drop someone like Sterling Grealish, who was one of the best. In, has been brilliant for the last year and a half, and his reluctancy to play him It's just. There must be something that he's doing that we don't know about, because Grealish has done everything for me on the Premier League stage. So far, he was brilliant against Wales. He's been in one of the best players for England in the last couple of see- or last year or a bit, but still can't break into the side. Why is that? Again,
2: I think that's his his, his tactics, isn't it? It's up to the FA to decide if this is what they want. I think if you play a four at the back, you then can play Rice and Philip because you don't need you don't need that extra center back in there because at, the, at the at the end of the day watching those belgium and denmark games you had five players that like to defend like to sit back make a team hard to beat and that puts so much pressure on the other five players to create something that it, it's never going to work but i think if you then move to a four at the back you then create that additional man in midfield where you can play a greenish you can play a madison or you could move a mountain and play sancho and it gives you the additional attacking player Mm -hmm. which but then again i think it's the nation's league if you look at a friendly if you would play or if we were playing andorra say I would have hoped in Southgate we would not have played five at the back and would you you would have got another attacking player on that pitch to create the additional outlet, to create the additional creativity and create an extra chance. I, I Is it the games we're playing? Because I agree with you. I think Grealish has been fantastic. But you look at the way we sat up when we had 11 men on the pitch, obviously, against Denmark and against Belgium. The wide attacking players had to be quick and counter attack now unfortunately Grealish isn't that type of player so is that why he's not getting the chance by Southgate because of his tactics but in which case I question why you have called him up don't get me wrong he's been the best player in England but if he doesn't fit your ta- oh, not the best player but you know what I mean
0: best English now, he- player that's a bold club <laughs>
2: <laughs> why, why, why call him up if he doesn't fit your tactic? Call players that fit your tactic. Yeah. Like that sacker, I think promoting him, calling him up to the squad. I think that was a great idea because he fit. The left wing back role is a role which he plays at Arsenal week in, week out. I'm more... I think that was a great call-up, but then didn't play him in the two important games. Played Trippier in one game, who did quite well in the role against Belgium, but then played Maitland-Niles who is being kept out the team by Saka at his club. <sighs>
0: I and mean... also the fact that maitland niles is right-footed and, <laughs> yeah. and plays on the right side at Arsenal. Yeah. T- touching on that point, do you think then gets worried about the lack of depth we have at centre-back? Because, to be honest, that is probably the weakest area as an in England as an England fan that we've got. Maguire is just a complete other topic and we'll touch on it in future episodes. I think he needs two, three weeks. His head, mentally, just doesn't look right. But again, that's another conversation. Gomez is all right, but it's back up level at Liverpool. Again, Matip has kept him out in places and Gomez has a lot of injuries. Mings plays at Villa. He's 27 now. He's not really going to get much better. He's, he's solid. But it's not that elite level. Connor Cody has played really well in a back three at Wolves, but again, very much a system player. Does well in, and does the basics very well. Michael Keane doesn't set the world alight for me. If Everton had a better centre-half and a bit, spent a bit of money there, I think he'd be shipped out straight away. He's 27, not going to get much better. So are we overcompensating with his back three? Is that why? because of the panic of that we just don't have depth there of elite players. We have a Harry Kane at the pitch who is probably one top 10 strikers in the world. You have Jason Sancho, one of the best young players playing out wide. I think it's 10... I think that's my viewpoint is he's worried about being so defensively weak. We pack the middle out with quality that we have in the midfield to cover for our inadequacies at the back. And I think that's the big issue where we're failing. I think if he switched to a back four and then allowed a Phillips to drop in between or play as that single pivot, a bit like Chelsea did under Sari, like a four-three-three. I think we'd see so much more success because it can still be a back three. You can drop Phillips in when we're defending and make a back five and have that system, but it just seems one-dimensional now of, oh, God, we've got to have these centre-backs in because we are poor there. Just... Yeah, I agree, and I think due to the
2: lack of quality in center half, he probably wants an extra centre-half back there to cover for mistakes. You saw when Maguire went off and Walker played as the second centre-back. Look how he... I know it wasn't... I don't think it was a pen, but to get in that situation, you want a commanding centre-half that would go over the top of Delaney and win the header and clear the danger. mm I... I... I agree with you. I think it is because of the lack of quality of center half that he's playing through at the back. But I would much rather see Southgate acknowledge that, and say, look, you know, we're not the best in that area, but we're going to make up for it. We'll be more solid in this field. Play Rice and Phillips, but then get that extra attacking outlet and play to our strengths. Because at the end of the day, we have Kane, who is probably top five striker in the world. But
0: we're going kind of top five, are we? <laughs> yeah. Oh I'd...
2: probably Calvert Lewin, who is the most informed player in Europe at the moment in terms of scoring goals. Mm-hmm. Sterling, who has been at immense level since Guardiola has come in. Sancho, who was being talked about. Prussia Dortmund were gonna sell him for a hundred and twenty million pounds. Then you have the then you have the extra players of Marcus Rashford who is lighting up in the Premier League with Man United. And You have the exciting unknown at international level, Jack Grealish and James Madison, that teams won't know too much about, and they have all the videos, but until you play against these players, you'll never really know what they're like, and they create that unpredictability. Mason Mount is another one. That's why I think he gets in the England side, because he is so raw. And I think he needs to play to our strengths. We are so good Mm attacking-wise, unfortunately, it's being nullified because of our frailties in defence.
0: You've brought it perfectly onto that next point about, you've mentioned all the quality players, and James, I wanted to get your viewpoint on this, about, is he wasting the generation we have here? We speak about the golden generation we had in 06, 08, and how it was wasted in a 4-4-2 under Svengorn Eriksson. Do we see that we're going in the same path here with all the attacking talent that we have?
1: I certainly think there are some that I don't think will probably improve as much as they should be. I think i can't I don't think Rashford's develops a great deal at international level, but we're not really getting the best out of them but I mean they're still young players. Let's face it. Southgate's not going to be here forever. We'll probably see the next tournament and then they'll bring somebody else in. So I don't, I, they're still very, very young. They've got a lot more developing to do. Kane, I don't think will get any better. So he's not being wasted. Put him in any team and he'll score goals if you if you give it to him. But I just I think the players are that are just so young. They've still got so much more developing to do. If Southgate stays on for the next year or two, I still think they could
0: go on to be incredible players. But that's the big point is that there's there's that opportunity there to make them incredible players, but I think we're missing out. Alfie has just rattled off about six to seven players that are all under the age of 23 currently and in the England side, but not playing and not playing in a system that suits them. It's quite dull, it's quite boring, it's static. I'd rather see us try and play an attacking, open, expansive style of football than lose 1-0 to Denmark. I'd rather us lost that 2-3-0, but the intent is to break the gate, break them down, try and get the ball into them, play an open, expansive style. I know it's not always going to work, and it's not always going to be the most successful, but the players we have on display, I think it's just a waste. Playing a back five and not having Jason Sancho on the pitch, it's just boggling. You've already touched on it with that £120 million Dortmund value in that. There's obviously something there. (laughs) It's not just, oh, he's all right. (laughs) This is what happens when
1: you bring in competitive matches. In a friendly, yeah, they would go for it. But ultimately, even if it is the Nations League, it's still a competitive game where the result matters more than the performance ultimately. And if he'd have grinded out a 1-0, it's job done for him because he's, he's, he's won them the game.
0: Do you think it's very much then results driven, is that if we're seeing it, because to be honest we were fluky as hell at the last World Cup, we snuck through on with set pieces and a goal here and there, Kane got six goals was it, but only one of them was from open play or something, I can't remember the, the exact numbers, do you think we are just slowing down a bit and just showing our true levels and the expectations have gone too high after the World Cup success?
2: hmm i i don't know about that one but i look at it as you've you've listed off that we've scored a lot from set pieces but at the at times like this where you only have a week with a squad you don't get to work on these set pieces you don't get to work on that you need and i think the thing is as well you look at the types of players that we have in our squad only one plays in. A five at the back system, and that is Conna Cody at their club. All of the other players play in the four three three, a four two one, uh four two what three one kind of system. It changes at international level. and in a week, can you make a player understand a role? I'm I'm not too sure. I look at Alexander Arnold's performance against Belgium. He, I think this was the first time, maybe he's played there once or twice, but the first time that I've ever seen him play as a right wing back in a system. Now he played as a right winger when we attacked. And I, I don't think that's what you want from your right wing back. You want him arriving late. You want him creating an additional option, but because Alexander Arnold hasn't learned that role or hasn't given the time in that role at his club level, why use him there at international level? Mm-hmm. We have yeah. all these brilliant players that play. Granted, they play different styles of football. Some sit behind the ball in a 4 3 3 and quick counter attack, like Rashford at United. Some like to keep possession, like Phil Foden at Manchester City. But the basis is there of a 4 3 3. Why are we suddenly changing this at international level when I think it was nine or eight out of the top 10 last year, played in a system, of a variety of a 4-3-3. Why implement a, a 5-2-3 at international national level? I look at Rashford's performance as a point for me as well, against Denmark, in the, when we had 11 men on the pitch, because obviously I don't like to judge when we only have 10, because that's a completely different game at that stage he was clearly in his Man United style of football subconscious high and wide. That's where Ollie likes him to play. That's what he was doing with England. And that limited the options we had down the left because with him high out wide Maitland Niles had nowhere to go. So we then just passed it backwards and sideways and down the right. I,
0: I I think it is
2: tactical
0: Yeah, I think it is So here you go, I'm going to throw the fox amongst the chickens I know we've discussed it off air a little bit Southgate is sucked We fail at the major tournament We go right, we're ripping it up We need someone exciting Who are you replacing Mm -hmm. them with? We'll go firstly realistically And then secondly unrealistic Or pipe dream as we shall say
2: Well, that's an interesting one I don't know if you class it as realistic, but I would. He's out of a job at the moment. Maurizio Pochettino. The stuff he'd done with England youth at Southampton and then at Tottenham. I think why not? I know he's not English and I know we like to go down this route for English coaches. But if you want to win tournaments, he has been successful. Don't get me wrong. It fell apart at Tottenham. But is that fully down to him or, you know, that's a different
0: topic. I think that's a tricky one. We saw how stale it went at Tottenham. Would someone like Kane, would someone like Ali want to buy back into him if he came into an England job? I'm not sure. He was, again, on my list of up there as a pipe dream. I think he's, like you said, that success at youth with the youth at Southampton and then blooding it into Tottenham to get him to a Champions League final. I think he'd be the perfect fit. And he's probably the best available world-class coach. At yeah. the moment. But he's pipe drew. And I don't think we'd go down the line of non-English. And especially someone like Pochettino, who has potential bad blood with a Kane or an alley, Considering how badly it was alleged to have gone at Spurs. In the end, again, none of us yeah. know. None of us are, <laughs> will ever know. But I don't know if someone like Kane, your old boss, walks through the door. Who mm. you were inches away from winning a Champions League with. Would you necessarily turn around and go, oh, yeah, I really fancy that?
1: I would love Chris Wilder to get the job. I know it would never happen
0: because he's not a yes man, he's not an FA man, but he would shake it right up. Oh. And if you
1: really want to play five at the back, then Chris Wilder is your man.
0: I, that's yeah, a cracking idea. I it's think like
1: he... dice Just throw him in there. He'll, he'll get everyone pumping their chests, you know, singing God Save the Queen at the top of their voice. He'd get everyone. I mean, you wouldn't always play the best of all, but. They would bloody give it their all out there. You had a Chris Wilder in charge.
0: I yeah no I I totally back that one. And he's I know he's seen as a bit more old school and dinosaur, but some of the footballs Sheffield United play is superb. The overlapping centre backs, you know. I just it would be good to see. But again, I see him like a cluffy. The FA, he's too much of a wild card. They've already tried it with Allardyce, and he lasted thirty odd days before he got called out for. Um, the agent contract stuff. So it's just not a safe pair of hands, and I totally agree with your points you've all made. On the, the FA1, a yes man, a safe pair of hands that's not going to cause controversy, not going to cause problems. It's just going to go, yes, yes, yes. And I think that leads to only one natural conclusion, it? and that's Eddie Howe. I think from yeah. the job he did from League 2 to the Premier League, Again, I know it's gone sour the last year or two and Bournemouth have struggled I and his style of play became quite stale towards the end. But there's that down to players just not buying into it anymore because they're only they're human at the end of the day. You get bored and if you've been doing the same thing for seven, eight years, you eventually get your patience runs thin. So I think he would be the only logical person at the moment in world football that would... Take the England job in the event Southgate was kicked, or mm. you've done your major tournament now, mate, let's jog on.
1: I still think he's got one job in him though, Howe, one big one that would really stake a claim. So to be a proper England manager, you, I mean, you can't give an England manager the job that's been just been sacked from Bournemouth.
2: But then you're saying that you want Chris Wilder, who has only really done one good job at Sheffield United, and currently is they're not doing that great at the start of this year.
1: Yeah, I, was, I don't think I'd give the job, Wilder the job now. I'm just saying I think I would love at some point Wilder to take over. I, I do think a Pochettino at the moment is ready-made to take over if Southgate left tomorrow. But if, if Southgate has a job for this next Euros and then maybe the Nations League after that, then Wilder hopefully or Howe you know, could have had a couple more years building with a, a solid club. And then they might be ready to take over the England job. But I mean, if Southgate's been given it, they've both had more experience than Gareth Southgate's ever had at managing. So,
2: but then he was in the English system with the youth teams. So they seen him close up and working with the youth sides. I think that's why Southgate got the job.
1: Yeah. Plus, he's the biggest yes man you'll probably ever find. Probably
0: the loveliest guy you have ever meet.
1: And he'll never cause you any issues.
0: Yeah. I think you've both hit that nail on the head. So then just slightly diversified, do you think you have to be a good club coach to be a good international manager? Do you um, think they go hand in hand? Because this whole argument was Southgate. Southgate obviously had a few failed attempts at club management. But then Southgate you Chris Coleman have both come in on the international stage. One's taken one to a European semi-final and the other one's gone to a World Cup semi-final.
2: Yeah. I do think it's different because you obviously do get less time with your players to implement tactics, but then you also keep them in a very high-pressured environment at a major tournament for four or six weeks, depending on how well you do. I would say they require different characteristics. And that's why I think Southgate is doing well at international level, because like James said, he's a very calm a nice character, someone you would easily get along with for that six-week high-pressures incident. And at the end of the day, he knows more than most what it feels like to be the one at a major tournament to cost your country with his penalty miss. I know, obviously, if Pelé had done better and all that, it wouldn't have happened. But ultimately, that experience, I believe, makes him a good international manager. Because no mm. matter what goes wrong at international level, he's unfortunately at the lowest, he was the lowest point.
0: He gets NFL. it on a level, doesn't he? It's... Yeah,
2: and I think that's why it helps.
0: It's certainly an interesting one. I think Southgate's probably got a major tournament or two left in him, but I think the pressure is certainly on, on him right now especially with the young players coming through and not getting the most out of them. As we... (laughs) Depends what you define as getting the most out of them.
1: Yeah, I hope he does well. (laughs) Seems like a lovely man.
0: Oh, no, I totally agree with you. Lovely bloke. like We've already said it. That uncle everyone loves. But at some point, that uncle, you just want him to piss off and you're done listening to him and telling his stories for the 15th time. And you don't want him there and you get bored. Don't know if that's necessarily happening with England right now, but it's certainly a possibility. Yeah, well, as lovers of the championship and a fanalytic account for a championship side, I think we're going to move on and have a look at the championship fixtures and transfers for the weekend. Obviously, the window slam shuts on Friday, with the biggest high profile move so far being Saeed Ben Rama allegedly agreeing a 30 million pound move away from Griffin Park. Norwich, on the other hand, look to be holding on to all three star players that have come down with them in Aarons, Benader and Cantwell. Other clubs, there's not really been much. Derby have signed, uh, what was his name? Colin Kazim-Richards. That is it, there you go. Never heard of him, (laughs) to be honest. uh, Blackburn about 10 years ago. Totally left field one. Uh, Turkish International, is it? I think.
1: Yeah, he plays with Trabs on Sport for a while. And he was at Blackburn when they got relegated under Steve Keen.
0: Jesus. So yeah, proper going old school, are we? Um, there's not really been much Saeed stuff, so I think we'll obviously touch on that first. I stuck my neck on the line on a other podcast saying I don't think he'll leave. That soundbite's now come back to want me, but I did mention it's for the, the price we want. We've got the thirty million allegedly for him. The twenty five up front with five millions in add ons, I'd see this as a complete win. We yeah, knew he was been... likely to go, didn't we? I stuck my neck on the line and said, Who's gonna pay thirty million for him in the champion for a championship twenty five year old? And West Ham thought, you know what, we need that little bit of quality. We need to go elsewhere. Do I think he's worth thirty million? Not really. No. Nah. But he's only worth what clubs are willing to pay for him. And we wanted 30, and that's what we've got. And no doubt, we've signed his replacement in someone like Godas. We've got lists of players that will cover that position if Godas isn't a success. And I think we're right. There's not really much more to say on it, other than that we wish him the best and hope he goes on for successes, because nothing be- is better than that as a Brentford fan. Is seeing our prospects going on and succeeding. Your Tarkowskis, your Greys, your Watkins. So, yeah. <laughs> so long, Saeed. We were massive. Massive loss of the championship. But it was always inevitable in the end, I think. Despite saying otherwise. But anyway, <laughs> we we're just going to go on to that.
1: Are we running through score predictions then for these matches? Into the or... Team.
0: Yes, we shall. Right, so first up of the weekend, Derby County versus Watford. Has anyone got any thoughts on that? Derby obviously have started the season pretty poorly by their accounts, but as they started slowly last year and slowly mounted a comeback towards the end of the season, they're an odd one for me. Someone like Watford again has started all right. You can see a bit of a process there going on. So for me, I'm thinking 2-1 to Watford. I
2: think, I mean, I've been fortunate in this prediction where I've watched both Reading's games against Derby and Watford respectively. I have not been impressed by Derby at all this season. The way they play, they got very lucky, very lucky against Norwich. I watched that game as well. I don't see them doing much this year, Um, unless they get a change of coach potentially, I I can't see them performing amazingly well in the championship. I can't see them doing what they did last year and mounting a, a run. I just don't see it. So, whereas on the other hand, Watford, I was quietly impressed with them. Don't get me wrong. They weren't perfect, but they did cause a few problems and in Ben Foster they have arguably the best keeper in the league and so I see it being a 2-0
0: Watford I think 2-0 Watford and I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw any Watford's reason behind that well Watford have...
1: they don't concede many I mean they conceded one all season and that was to Reading but they've only scored twice so that it's going to be a close game there'll be a goal either way but I just think that that winning against Norwich might just be the kick in the backside Derby needed potentially to get their season back on track. So I, I think I see it being a, a low-scoring game.
0: Yeah, I think Watford are an interesting side. They're poor recruitment-wise in the Premier League, but then the defence they've established this season is looking pretty solid. They've invested in quite a lot of younger talent. And so I think they're one certainly to keep an eye on for this season that will just be in and around, you know, not not set the world alight, but just float and just sit there. Yeah,
2: I can see them make, making a run after Christmas.
0: All what like um, a Villa esque one, where they go on ten, fifteen games unbeaten.
2: Yeah, I can see them putting a run together because of how well how how good they have been defensively. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. Oh. It's just like getting their young forward in Jao Pedro or Murray who's obviously new to the side or that attacking talent just to gel and create chances together. I think they'll come good. good. I see the best position out of the three being relegated, I think.
0: I'm inclined to agree. Did they keep hold of success this window as he moved on? Oh, Isaac's success? Ah, oh, jeez. Sadler, this is... Oh, this... Um... Look. I think he moved on, but I will double check. I he went alone, Jake. I seem to see it. I think. Uh, it... No, he hasn't. He is still at the club. For now. Oh. So For now. See, we talk about Norwich keeping all of their big players. Hang on, let me actually find out. I will give me a second. Norwich is an interesting one.
2: While you find stuff out, I'll talk about Norwich. Um, in Aaron's I think they've missed out on a trick there. I think he had such a good season in the Premier League. I know they got relegated, but he had such a promising season in the Premier League. Much like they did with Ben Godfrey. I think they did need to cash in on him. I mean, Barcelona came in for him on a on a loan but then to purchase for 20 million pounds. I, I I it's like Brentford where they they have a valuation for a player and if it's not met then you're not leaving.
1: He's young in English. 20 million is a minimum they probably could have got for him after that season last year.
2: Yeah. But then if he has a poor season in the Championship, you know, that's 20 million lost, I think. Oh, yeah. I would have taking it.
1: He's only 20. So he's, he's got another couple of... If he stays at Norwich, he's, what, 23? Has another maybe another promotion and maybe then goes on to team like Everton. There's no reason mm-hmm. why he can't get 25, 30 million for him in two years' time. Yeah. Oh, it's obviously banking on them having a good year this year, but if they believe in their, their their system and their recruitment, there's no reason why they can't be up there again, and then they can sell them for more.
0: Oh, but how would you feel as a player though, being told, "No, we've rejected a loan off from Barcelona for you"? You'd oh, you got it. It's beyond human that that they were like, "No, no, no no. Oh,
2: for... oh you, you wouldn't?
0: That'd be gut wrenching. You would think, yeah. right, going from Norwich to Barca. And they've told me, no, you're not, because the money's not right. Yeah, you, surely his head's pro- your head's been turned. Who, who wouldn't want to turn- go play for Barcelona, one of the biggest clubs, and Messi and share a dressing room with Messi and go? I don't think. I think he'll have a poor season this year, and we'll see him gone by January because they will want to cash in on him. You yeah, can- they won't get the twenty million I, Yeah, we've gone slightly off tangent. But yeah if I'm out Aaron you're going that nah, mate I'm not <laughs> I'm not risking a move potentially not to Barcelona if he breaks his leg tomorrow that's that's his career pretty much at the age of 20.'s stalled for a year year and a half yeah
2: so. I also think I know what you're saying about their star players kept hold of like Watford but there's been no interest in either of those two players it's in Buendia and campwell at all when I think they were hoping for bids. Now, can you keep two players like that believing in the system as if you play well, then you can get your move like Madison did. Will they believe that anymore, considering no teams have come in for them? Will they think, oh, do I need to get out of here before it's too late? Move on to a lower side in the Premier League or abroad? It's an interesting one. I agree, um, I
0: think it's the same, it's the opposite end to Aarons, whereas Aarons has obviously clearly had bids on him. These two haven't, and you could say they were one of the best players last season in the, for Norwich in the Premier League, Would you be thinking, well, what am I doing? Yeah. I, I've proved myself at Premier League level, why does no one want me? Am I being priced out by the club? Yeah, you'd question it. You It'd certainly be... would question it. There are a side to watch Norwich because it can all blow up in your face very quickly if you don't stick to your your philosophy of yes you can get your move if the price is right yeah. and it's a difficult one to manage with them three all probably wanting a move to a bigger and better team how do you sell them? why would you want to go to Wickham away on a Tuesday night when you could be playing on the beaches of Spain? <laughs> it's a tough sell and I think they're certainly one to keep an eye on this season for potential imploding in January being a mass, mass exodus. But there is a good team there and they should be up there. Surely there is enough quality in that side in its current state to be a top two, top six minimum.
2: But it depends on the dressing room. Cause if Cantwell and Buendia have unrest and Aaron's have unrest and don't really want to play for the shirt, that could quite easily spread. That could very easily spread. And, you know, then who knows what could happen. Are
0: you, know? oh, you seeing here? Yeah, Godfrey's already gone. He's had enough. He's gone 25 million. Thank you very much. Yeah, but yeah they're, they're one to keep an eye on for me this season. It's like going to go one or two ways. They're going to have an absolute storm this league or it's all going to fall apart and January's going to just be an absolute massacre. Fox has <laughs> gone. Playing squad's been torn apart and you rebuild the five-year plan.
2: They have to
0: start over again. Oh, so on to the next weekend set of fixtures: Barnsley, Bristol City. Barnsley, uh, Bristol City are currently looking to uh, equal the record for most wins in a championship s- start of a championship season with five in a row. Barnsley, on the other hand, are still managerless after Struber has left for. Uh, da, 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 who was it? Ooh, New York. New York, that's it. Cracking move. What a guy. I respect that. It would want to be in Barnsley or New York? Take your pick. <laughs> right, what are we saying for this one? Because Barnsley, for me, were a dark horse this season. And I thought they would be up there.
2: Yeah, I had Barnsley's dark horses under Struber. They, they have looked very good. Lost a manager. The, the key for me is to a decent season for them. Can they get a manager in that plays and believes in the same styles of football that has been successful? I'm not so sure. I think a lot, if I was a player, I'd be, I'd be very happy for the manager, for the things he'd done for the club, keeping them up last season, the way they were playing. I would be very, not optimistic, that's not the word, but I would, I would be looking forward to the new coach, but I think it could easily turn sour with how well it went under under him.
0: Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. I think
2: unfortunately for the new manager, it can only go backwards really, with how well Barnsley were doing.
0: Yeah, the squad there is a difficult one. There's not particularly much quality in it. Yeah, and they had a very specific system. If a coach doesn't match that style or system, I think there's there's going to be tough times ahead for Barnsley this season.
2: Yeah. That being said, I'm seeing
0: a 2-0 Bristol City I do think. you think they'll get the record of 5 in a row
2: I think so, mostly because of Struber leaving to be honest with you mm-hmm. not because of how well City well I mean they are playing well obviously but I think it's, the result in my mind is more down to losing Struber than it is Bristol City coming I think they would have
0: struggled no matter who it was so well... i going 2 Bristol City James, obviously, Bristol City were one of the clubs over the summer to change manager and move on from long-term manager Lee Johnson. What do you think you've made of Holden's start to the season so far? Because the signs have all been pretty positive so far.
1: Yeah, yeah, they've looked good. I mean, they've always had a good squad. And they've always had you know, a good start. And then they falter. So, I mean, I don't think we can get too carried away. Because if it could still get to March and they could falter again. But uh, he's definitely proved some people wrong. And, Jake, I just wanted to say they will do the joint record five wins because Reading will also win
0: their fifth game on the bounce. Hey, we we'll are so. getting to the We'll get there. <laughs> <Right. laughs> I'm going we'll to Bristol City as well. 2-0 as well. Yep. Ah, oh, see. For me, I'm going to stick my neck on the line here. A team that's got something to play for and a point to prove to a new manager. I think Bristol might surprise a few. I know I've just spoken about that morale boost and how it's changed for them. But I'm going to stick my neck out here and say I think Bristol nick, uh, Bar- sorry, not Bristol, Barnsley nick this 1-0. I think they've got a point to prove now. A lot of people like me have just slated them and said the squad's not good enough. But I think there is a chance here if they've got a new manager watching to nick this 1-0. Very um, brave. Brave? Uh, yeah. And no, me, I'll probably be wrong. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. The next weekend fixture, again, another one of the summer new managers with Ita Karanka coming in at Birmingham City versus a Sheffield Wednesday side who started the season on minus 12 points after financial failings. What are we making of this one? Birmingham obviously had a pretty solid start to the season, not looked terrible, not brilliant. What do you make of this fixture?
2: Well, saying Birmingham, Sheffield Wednesday have had a very good start as well. Considering they've almost half the deficit, um, mm. I uh, I think that this is one of the harder ones to call because both sides are coming into it playing quite well, getting results. I think it could go either way by a goal, but I am going to go one all. One all. Yeah. I oh, think I'm going to go one all, but I wouldn't be surprised if a side won it two one
0: or one nil. Next one here. or Yeah, it was quite interesting for Wednesday of the summer because obviously there was a lot of murmurings about Gary Monk thinking about considering his job and a lot of fans getting on his back for the style of football they played. But he seems to have turned it around and I had them as being relegated. I didn't see them overturning 12 points this season. But with only seven left to go, they might be able to scrape past considering some of the quality of that, them teams down the bottom, they've not been the best, shall we say. No problem. Yeah, Wickham. Um, they're an interesting one. <laughs> we'll get onto them in a minute. James, with your prediction for the Birmingham? It's 1-0, wasn't it? Yeah, 1-1. One, one. Uh, see, I'm going to go for a, a boring 1-0 win to Birmingham, I think. They've started oh, the season well. Oh, actually, oh. Yeah, I think they've started the season all right. One win, three draws. They've looked solid, but I think if they can nick one here, it'll go a long way for their season. Yeah. Looking at it then, the next fixtures we've got up is high-flying Blackburn, who have scored 11 goals in four games already this season and only conceded in three, mm-hmm. who have started the season like a house on fire, coming up against a defeated and, to be honest, not on a far side that just looked void of all confidence. New manager in though, though, in Chris Hewton, so as we see this one playing out, yeah it's the old
2: new manager bounce it is he gonna get a reaction from that dressing room oh, the players gonna put in a performance it's a tough one it really is if it was against a side that hadn't started so well you know this could be a catalyst for something good from human he's had two weeks to work on it in the training ground you know work on his new tactics work on the style of play but the way Blackburn have started the season, scoring this amount of goals... I'm going to go 3-1 Blackburn, I think. I do think Hutton will do well, but because of how Blackburn have started, I can't look past them this weekend. So I'm going to go 3-1 Blackburn.
0: No, that's just a bit. we've touched on it. I think with Forrest, the writing was on the wall they were one of the luckiest sides last season in the entire division I think it was 13 of their games they won by a goal a single goal which is ridiculous over performance I think they've now torn up everything that Lamucci is it Lamucci yeah Lamucci started but they are just poor and I've said it before and I know I'll get pelters from Forest fans for it but they look dead and buried along with that psychological element of the players of how they just exploded at the back end of that last season. I just can't see them recovering. I don't think Euston's going to be the man to claw them out of this hole. I think a, a complete rebuild of the playing squad is going to be required to mm. just get them back up to speed. I think mentally they're shot. And you see it in this season's performances. They just don't look at the races. So I was going to go 4-0 to Blackburn.
1: You and your forest bashing. Christ, you're not going to get any listeners.
0: I, it's just, yeah, I can't look past it. Mentally, they're gone. The playing style is just turgid. And I don't think a new manager is going to come in and be able to drag that team up.
1: Chris, you and always my favourite championship manager. And I can see him so they're certainly sorting out goals conceded. So, they're, they're, I think it'll be 1-1. You're going 1-0. That is so a
2: brave one. I just think the
1: new manager bounce and all that. there. There's a good squad there. And if you can sort through the from the decent players where well, there's no reason why that squad can't at least win games i mean blackburn they could have just been on a good run before there has been international break, because it might come down a bit no i just think he'll he won't win his first game but i, I think they'll be a lot, a lot more competitive than they have been
0: so we can start to fire through these ones a little bit we've then got bournemouth qpr UPR for me, Dark Horses going into this season. I think they've built quite a nice little squad with Dykes and oh, I've forgotten his name. I had it in my head and I've just said it and I've forgotten it. Don't know. Nope, the other one, the centre back, Dickie, that's it. I think them two were yeah, really, boy. really good signings. So yep. but the same thing always comes Mark Warburton, Brilliant going forward. But God, they are terrible defending. They are literal shits. (laughs) They were the worst in it last season, but also the highest scorers, which says a lot about Watson. I think if they can get it right this season, like you did with Brentford in that first championship season, I think think they can shoot right up there. Bournemouth, though, have started the season well for me. They've looked, again, a bit like a Watford. You don't expect them to be that high up. They're third in the table, 1-3. And then draw on the other. So you're looking at it thinking, it's an alright start. They've come back and done well.
2: Yeah. I mean, but, the thing is, they have a not a championship squad, but not a premiership squad. There's something in between for me. Yeah. And I, I think it stands them in good
0: stead. I think this will be a high-scoring draw. I'm going to go free all for this. Because I just can't see beyond, beyond the defensive frailties of a yeah. QPR. But then someone like both teams that are very, very good attacking talent in Dykes, Solanke. Yeah, there's goals in this one, in my opinion. I would
2: agree with you. And that's why I'm going to go 3-2 Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah. I'm four, Bournemouth.
1: 4 one, oh, four. Four, one? Wow. Two, one Bournemouth. 4-1, wow. 2-1 Bournemouth. I was saying,
0: oh. it got ambitious here. I was thinking, we've all gone goals first. <laughs> one. 2 1 Bournemouth. What's your reason behind that then?
1: Just think Bournemouth are a strong team. QPR, a decent start for what was expected after selling their best player. But, you know, I just think Bournemouth have a better team and it'll be a close game, but they'll edge it
2: out.
0: I like that. Then we move on to the biggest fixture of the weekend Brentford versus Coventry. Brentford, after the disappointment of the playoff (laughs) final last season, but Coventry. High flying on their way to a League 1 title. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I can't see beyond Brentford winning this. We've started the season well. We've looked solid. We've looked attacking-wise. Bit of work with the changes of the squad as well. There's always going to be a bit of blooded into the team. But I'm seeing a solid 1-2-0. I think 2-0 win for Brentford here. Coventry haven't been particularly good. And Brentford should just have way too much for them to push on for this win
2: I think he's also in Coventry I think they lost their best player to a red or two yellows, red card I can't remember his name but the the player they signed for like one and a half million I think it was wasn't it Gustavo Hamer yeah he looked very good too he got sent off like an idiot I think they're going to be very blunt attacking, I think it's going to be all Brentford, I think
0: 2-0 as well Jake Oh. This is where James throws a curveball in and tells us Coventry are gonna win this.
1: Nah, uh, I've I've also gone
0: 2-0. You've also got oh, see, we've all matched each other here. If the weekend goes anything like me and Alfie go in, we're gonna have an immense weekend, kept We've got twelve <laughs> gale twelve goals for the home side. It's mad. Right, we then come up to two relegation fighters from last season of Luton Town and Stoke City who weren't expecting to be near the bottom after the money spent. Nathan Jones has obviously come in and sta- steadied the ship and started building Luton back in his image. Yep. What, against a former club as well, that's going to be tasty to see because at Stoke I just felt sorry for him. That side was so, so unlucky. But then when your stroke was built with a phobie Sam, it's just, you always get a struggle in, in in the start of things. I see there's going to be a lot of spice to this one, especially for Nathan Jones, who thinks he's still got a lot to prove that he's deserving of a bigger job than, mm. no offence to Luton, they're not the biggest club, and Stoke, obviously, were a major step up for him at the time.
1: Luton have only lost two games since um, Jones' comeback, which is,
0: I think, I, think the, the, I
1: think that's the best format of anyone over sort of that same time period I think yeah so um, I mean we yeah. beat them 5-0 last season that was their their one defeat and then the other defeat being the 1-0 loss to Watford this season I just think yeah. it made them a lot more difficult to beat and uh, I've gone for 1-1 we have
0: gone 1-1 here and I can see that to be fair both teams Michael O'Neill is not the most expansive of teams and obviously Nathan Jones has tried to solidify Luton a bit from their high-flying attacking days yep yeah. I think. I, oh, well, go, on. go on, Alf, let yourself up.
2: I see a lot of cards in this game. I see a very heated exchange, very heated. Both play, well, Stoke players will certainly be up for it, and Nathan Jones will certainly get his Luton players up for it. I see it being played, a lot of possession lost in the middle third. I, I think it'll be a boring nil nil. Okay.
0: I. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Maybe a team can nick it 1-0. It wouldn't
0: surprise me, but I've gone for a 0-0. Yeah, I can I can see where you've gone there. I, for me, I think Stoke again have started a bit slowly, but O'Neill had a lot at the back end of that season. They were looking good and solid and starting to build up slightly, and there's too much quality in that side for me. So I'm going to go 1-0. On Stoke, Stoke win.
2: Yeah.
0: See, now this is where you're going to say the important fixture is. We've got Neil Warnock versus his favourite team, Reading, who always seem to have something against him. I see. I can't see beyond Warnock do it, getting one over Reading. It's just one of their managers against teams. He'll just nick three points. It's effective. It's simple, and I can't see beyond a one 0 win here, probably from a set piece. Nice and simple. I think Reading will be handed their first loss of the season.
1: We've lost. We've lost the last seven straight games to Middlesbrough. Our last win being back in twenty fifteen. So, yes, it's
2: very sad, isn't it? They're not a good they're
1: not a good they're a bit of a bogey team.
2: However, with this new manager I'm not sure he'll care about that. I don't really think he cares about it. I see Redding nicking it. One nil with a set piece
0: Jake. Oh we're going for the opposite. Let's go. <laughs> we'll yeah. just we'll discuss this on the on next there, week's episode but there's a lot of
2: chances they're you know, Warner likes to set up Long ball, but the way redden have been defending recently, I don't see them causing too many problems.
0: So I'm thinking of one, okay. And I'm gonna go, James, always the optimist, yeah. What we're we saying here, one, one. I don't think we'll lose, but um, I don't
1: think we'll win it. I'll take a point if, if we take if we. Against Middlesbrough, and then we beat Rotherham and w- um, Wickham in the next two games, then that'd be one hell of an achievement for Panovic. So, yeah, okay. I'd
2: take a point away at Borough. Point away? I think... I'd take a point, but I see us nicking it one now. <laughs> I hope you're right. I'd much rather your prediction than mine. Predict.
0: They always say it to be fair, though. You draw your away games, you win your home games. That's, that's, that's the formula you need. If you can pick up a point on the road, especially to a ground like Borough's with a manager like Warnock. Yeah. certainly opportunity there. We're going, start going towards the back end of the season now. We look at Rotherham versus Norwich. We've spoken a lot about Norwich's free and if they'll still be here come the end of the window, which according to the rumours, they should be. Yep. Rotherham again, one of them yo-yo teams that just... They'll get relegated and we'll see them next season. Uh, they've lost their key men in bonge who's just been out, ruled out for the rest of the season with a knee injury, so... Yeah, that's a big loss. That was a big loss. Oh, I don't know. I just think not, there's too much quality in this Norwich side. I think 2-0 for me on the road.
2: Yeah. I see Norwich better than they were against Derby.
0: I see it as a one 0 One-nil 1-0 Norwich, yeah? Norwich, yeah, sorry, I should have said Norwich. <laughs> Rotherham, Nick, nickel 1-0. Yeah, 1-0 away from home. James?
1: And I have gone for 2-0 Norwich.
0: You've gone, gone for the side. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they've just got too much quality in that team. Rotherham don't have enough, and I think there's going to be a long season again for those that have just come up.
1: Yeah, but they know that when they, when they come up.
0: Well, yeah. yeah really do like Paul Warner, though, as a coach. I really think he's he's just got them playing and if you read up on his coaching stuff and philosophy and stuff, a lot of it focuses on the the psychological element, which I really like and the way it works and how he motivates players because he knows there's that yo-yo element to them. But how do you keep players going? And he's been there now a good three, four years to get them promoted, relegated, promoted. It's, I think that's some testament to the character of him, his players, and I do wish them well. I do so, like like him as a manager. Yeah.
2: I think the benefit to Rotherham this year is how poor other sides are looking. Don't get me wrong, there'll definitely be in a relegation battle, but you know this could be the year that they survive it.
0: Agree, yeah. Looking down the bottom you look at your Wickhams, your Forests who have started slowly, Barnsley, Derby, Coventry who have right, Huddersfield again who have started slowly. Yeah. There's plenty of opportunity here if they can accumulate enough points early.
2: Oh well it's always points on the board, that's always what you want. Mm-hmm. But
0: well, speaking of Huddersfield and their new manager, we'll go on to the next one, Swansea versus Huddersfield. Obviously, Bielsa's assistant has left him. Left him to go to Huddersfield Town after the sucking of Crowley. Yeah. And Swansea looking all right after the hangover of the playoffs last year. They started really well, only conceding one in their okay. opening four. They're an interesting one for me, Swansea. I thought they have a nucleus of a team that is really, really good. Matt Grimes, for me he up is there. A great He's great. Yeah. Really, yeah. one of the best centre-mids last season in the division. I really, really liked him. Yeah, but is it again a case of Cooper's connections of can we keep bringing these lone players in can we keep replicating the quality that we had with Brewster was one of the best players last year for them yeah. I'm interested to see how they go without him Black
2: Morgan gives white has come in he's a very top talent at, from Wolverhampton and you know if he can get in goal scoring form Obviously, point be as hot as Brewster doesn't play in the same position, but you know the extra quality in that attacking midfield area that they they didn't replace really when they lost Connor Gallagher. Is it mm.
0: Conor Gallagher? I can't remember. It was Gallagher, yeah. Yeah, it was Conor Gallagher.
2: You know, who knows? I think they'll be up and around the playoffs again. It depends if they come out, come back, or oh, not come back. A run after Christmas or during Christmas.
0: Hmm. What's your thoughts on Huddersfield this year, James? Because obviously, they a lot of expectation with Bielsa's second-in-command coming in. But not quite working so far.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to take time, isn't it? It's, 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 not, how, it's not particularly how Cowley played. Um, they're a squad in transition. They're not the strongest of teams. I certainly have them down to struggling again this season. Especially in getting rid of Carl and Grant. I mean, you're getting rid of a, a large chunk of their goals there. Oh, yeah. That's Brom.
0: I've got a 3-0 Swansea win. 3-0 Swansea win? Oof. Oh. See, I'm going so... with? I went a 2-0 Swansea win. 2-0 Swansea. For me, again, I agree. I think Swansea have had a really good start. I think they've got a solid squad to them. I'm going to go for a 2-0 win as well. We move on to the last of the Saturday games with Wickham at home to Millwall, who after last <laughs> season's push for the playoffs... Didn't quite get there in the end under Rowett. Wickham this season, though, have started incredibly poorly, conceding ten goals in their opening four games without scoring a single one so far. They just, yeah, they've been battered by Luton, Swansea, Blackburn put them to the to the sword, and that opening game against Rotherham, I just don't know. That was a yeah, six-pointer you know in the start of the season, and. Oh it's just one of them isn't it that if they'd won that that sets the basis for the season but at the moment they just look out of it already
2: yeah do you know I don't like looking at goals conceded and all that and you know but it's the teams Wickham have lost to already this season it's not like they've lost to the three coming down from the Premier League they have lost to Robberman and Luton who you'd have put as favourites to go down you know it's very worrying if Ainsworth can't get them playing Very worrying for them. I don't think they expected to come up, but now they're here, they look out of their depth. Losing to sides like Rotherham and Luton this early in the season, it's not a good omen for them. Yeah. The pressure then comes when you have to then pick up points against the teams like Watford, Bournemouth, Norwich, you know, and that's not what you want. You want those games to be freebies. No yeah. pressure, but now they've already lost a large amount of
0: games against teams around them. It's not looking good. But you look at the to be fair to them when they played us in the cup and that opening, yes, they lost on penalties, but they looked all right. They had something about them. I Brentford weren't particularly at top gear at all and were very, very sluggish opening game vibes. But there was something about them, they looked solid, they looked like they wanted to compete that season. I just think if they start losing a one or two through to injury, someone like Dominic Grape who commands that midfield, Stewart potentially, they just don't like. I just don't think there's much to the squad that screams quality championship players. I just think it's going to be a long, long season for them, but they never expected to be here. They got here through the points per game thing. They won the playoffs again by, it's not pot luck, but they won the playoffs. They did what they had to do. For me, I think they're up there of just one of the teams to they are going to fall. I think they had a bit of a chance with Sheffield Wednesday, giving them every team a leg up. But for me, Wickham, I think are in 3-4 and I can't see beyond here Millwall winning 1-0. Mm,
2: I've gone a bit bigger. I've gone 2-0 Millwall, but same,
0: same vibes.
1: Yeah, I've got 2-0 as well.
0: I think it's just a case of they're just not equipped. Their owner was already spoken regularly about the finances at the club and not having the money to compete at League One level. Now the fact that you're taking that step up and is it that stick or twist? Do you throw the money out to protect yourself and see if you can stay up? Or then do you jeopardise that long-term future of your football club? I don't think money would have helped them, to be honest with you. Do you not see Wickham as an attractive prospect to go to?
2: Well, there's that, but then also, you look at the squad, unless, if I was a a player that has played at, I don't know, Stoke or somewhere, I wouldn't look at Wickham and think, you know, I want to be there, I want to be in a relegation battler, with the quality of the squad, it's, it's a tough one, They they look like a family unit with the way they came through the playoffs and all that, and the interviews that have been given. But this was when they were f- flying high, I guess you could almost say, in seventh in the table. They're expecting to be fighting relegation, flying high at seventh in the table, feel-good factor. Take the feel-good factor away, and performances inevitably drop. Um, mm. you know,
0: I think, I think when fans get back into the stadium, that'll be a difficult place to go, on your back. Yes, it's an old-school stadium. But yeah. for now, I think it's the best teams are going to win. The best coaches, the best styles, the best teams, the best money. And I think Stop. they're going to struggle for the rest of the season, to be honest. And it's going to be a long one for them. But for them, it's the highest they've ever been. And this money could set the club up for the long term. And who's to say they can't go on and do a rough run and yo-yo okay. spend a few years in and out. So. Yeah, there's, there's something there for Wickham but I think it's going to be a long season ahead for, for supporters um, but at the end of the day this is the best place they've ever been and it'll be a journey nonetheless yeah so as we go into the last set of weeks in fixtures we'll come to you James of Alex Neils, Preston North End and Cardiff City both have started okay Cardiff have had a few results in there that they won't be happy with Preston again a bit eh what are we feeling for this one? Yeah, I've gone for a one-one draw.
1: Two teams that have just had a very solid start. Two very solid teams. I just see them canceling each other out, to be honest.
2: Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I like I like both managers. I like Alex Neil and I like Neil Harris. I like both managers. I think they they could be all right mid-table potentially. Again, it all comes down to that runner form
0: over Christmas and end of the year. Um. I'm seeing a one-all draw as well. I see that Cardiff. If they were on again, it's like Millwall on that cross of the playoff position. I know they got they got in eventually through some good fortune, but again, I think there's just too much quality in that squad. I think they played well last year. Harris got them pumping up, so I think they'll get up towards the end of the season. It's been a slow start, but like with every team and stuff, it's been a difficult year to adjust to with COVID and. no fans I think it was going to take a bit of time to get this league properly up and running except if you're Blackburn who have knocked 11 in and seem on fire at the moment so I might just be talking rubbish but I definitely think we'll see it as the season progresses the big teams will eventually rise I've spoken length about those with the money are eventually going to go up and succeed more because it's just the way it works they've got the ability to do so so for me here, I've got a 1-0 Cardiff win away at Preston. I think they'll just be able to have enough quality to nick this. But, but, oh. we got, if it goes my way, I've got a free-flowing fixture list here. It looks incredible. If this anything comes close to this, I'm buying into the lottery next week. <laughs> right, and on that note, we will, shall end this first episode of the Bees Analytica podcast. Thank you, gents, and I look forward to seeing how we've done next week. All right. To everyone listening, please follow on Spotify and follow our YouTube channel with all the links in the description to keep up to date with the podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Cheers. Cheers.